0: This morning's reading is taken from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in grieved pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. This morning in Psalm 23, we move from the sheep pastor... To the banqueting hall, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup is full and runs over. You prepare a table for me. And if this, Psalm 23, is a psalm of King David, King David, then this is a table prepared fit for a king. It's the table for one greater than the king. It's the table of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But it's no ordinary table. Do you get those words? It's a table prepared in the presence of my enemies. Uh, So what's that about? Well, I want to suggest that first of all, it's about a place for us where we can be welcomed and where we can be fed. In the midst of all the battles of life, here for us is a place where we can sit down, be fed, refreshed, even with all the battles going on around us. There's a space specially for us, with our name on it, at the table of the kings. And to emphasise just how welcome we are at that table, the king himself comes and stands in front of us and anoints our head with oil, the oil of his spirit. Do you remember how uh, Jesus was in the house of that rich man, uh, Simon? And do you remember what uh, Jesus said to Simon when the woman came and anointed his feet uh, with uh, precious ointment? And Simon looked down on the woman and said, well, what a waste, and how dare Jesus let a, a woman like that touch him? And uh, uh, Jesus looked at Simon and said, Simon, I came into your house as uh, as a guest. But you didn't even give me the common privilege of anointing my head with oil, because that's what you do to guests. But she's anointed my feet. Get it right, Simon. But anointing, you see, was that mark of acceptance, that mark of welcome. You're my guest at my table in my house. And that's what God does to us. And that anointing uh, would not be done by a servant. It wouldn't be done sprinkled on from the side. It wouldn't be done from the back. It would have been done face to face. And God himself looks us in the face this morning and anoints our head with oil and says, you're welcome, at my table. And there's something special about face-to-face, isn't there? It's something about being known and recognised and seen for who we are, not treated as someone in the crowd, but known for ourselves. And, and there is a sort of security in it, too. I heard a story uh, just this week uh, of a young father, actually, Whose wife had died sadly young. And the father and the son had gone to the funeral. And that night, the father, because he asked him to, uh, laid next door, uh, next to his very young son, uh, in his bed to help him get to sleep. And in the darkness, uh, the little boy put out his hand to his father and touched his father's face. And he said to his father, Daddy, is your face turned towards me? And the father said, Yes, my face is turned towards you. And the little boy said, Well, if your face is turned towards me, then I think it's okay to go to sleep now. And when God turns his face towards us, as he does, as he welcomes us to his table, there is recognition, there is peace, And there's a certain security as well at his table. The king turns his face towards us and says, come and sit and eat. I don't know about you, but I think if I'm honest, my relationship with God is, is too often sustained by fast food and cheap snacks. And maybe even junk food. And yet deep down, I know that there is a banquet waiting for me. If only I will sit at that table and let the king feed me. A friend of mine uh, was once going through tough times. She felt she was being pulled in so many different directions and she didn't know who she was or where she was going and she even felt she'd got no time left over for God himself. And then one day, uh, it was as though she heard a voice, God saying to her, Listen haven't you even got time to have a cup of coffee with me each day? And so from that time on, she deliberately made a cup of coffee and sat down and had coffee with God each day. And that restored a sense of balance and purpose to her life and gave her a core peace just there each day. Not a banqueting table, But a coffee table, a place of rest and restoring and settling. But more than that, there is this tradition that that if you're a guest at a table in the Middle East, then your safety and well being, from the moment you're in the house, the moment you're at your table, your safety is the responsibility of the host. So, what's this about in the presence of my enemies? As well as welcome, as well as refreshment, as well as nourishment, here's a place of safety in the midst of my enemies. I don't know how vulnerable you sometimes feel because I think God's protection can come to us in in all sorts of ways, sometimes quite remarkable ways. I'm going to make a jump now because Anne has just come back uh, from a trip with compassion. And uh, Anne, tell us where you've been and uh, tell us about, one remarkable incident that uh, happened while you were on your trip.
1: Yes, um, I was with, Elsa in, with the Canadian team. I went to El Salvador in Central America. And um, it was the thing that impacted me the most um, was not only that the people there are dealing with all the appalling awfulness and hopelessness of poverty... But also, they are living in a very real, dangerous place um, with the issues with the gangs, which are endemic in El Salvador. Um, Before we left, we were told under no circumstances were we to wear anything with the number 13 or the number 18 on it, as these are the numbers of the gangs. And they come from, from the States, actually, from a very poor part of Los Angeles, and that's another story. Um, So we didn't wear anything with um, those numbers on it. And we had dinner the first night with three of the pastors and their wives of the projects we were going to visit. And I had the privilege of being on a table with a pastor called Edwin and his wife um, Eve, Evelyn, that's it. And um, during the course of the conversations, we had a whole evening with them, which was brilliant. Um, Edwin was telling us about... um, the circumstances when one of the children, one of the boys in his uh, church, in in our Compassion Project, was um, abducted by one of the gangs. So he made investigations as to how to go and speak with the gang leader in order to bring this child back. And so he goes to meet this gang leader, and um, the gang leader at one point brings out a gun and puts it to his head, And he says to Edwin, you realise I have the power of life and death over you in this moment. And Edwin's astonishing reply was, no you don't. God has the power of life and death over me. So the gang gang leader put the gun to his head again, fired three times, and it failed. And probably in frustration and anger, he then fired at the ground and it worked. And I think there are many stories like this Um, Of God's power, of his authority and um, what is interesting is that the government is corrupt The, the police the army, whatever the gang members don't respect anybody in authority the people they do respect are the church and in fact the only way you can you cannot be, once you are a gang member, the only way you can stop being a gang member short of being shot and killed is to be a Christian and be able to prove it. And there's a thought.
0: Thank you, Anne. Shall we um, thank you to Anne for all she's thought back to... Uh, There will be a time later on to hear a fuller account of Anne's trip, but that just seemed to fit, that here at God's table there's protection. But you might be saying, well, uh, Anne's story is wonderful, uh, but I don't live like that and I don't have those sort of enemies. What sort of protection do I need at God's table? Uh, What about the enemies that we all carry within us? Uh, What about those enemy voices that constantly tell us I'm not good enough? What about those enemy voices that uh, say to us, you're no one special, why should God bother with you? What about those enemy voices which says, I'm not a welcome guest, I'm simply an imposter and a gatecrasher here. What am I doing here? What about those enemy voices of busyness or anger or frustration or bitterness? What about the enemy voices of illness and pain What about that big enemy voice which says, I've got no time, I I, I must get on. But here at the Lord's table is protection and feasting, even in the midst of all our enemies, outside or inside us. But we find it really, really hard, don't we, to believe it could be true. Can it really be true for me? Can it be really true for you that here at God's table there is welcome, peace and feasting? Surely I've got to do more than that, than just sit down and be looked after. Now as many of you know, uh, George Herbert's uh, poem uh, describes wonderfully that uh, inner wrestling. Is this really for me? Can it really be God's voice to me? So this morning uh, we're going to have that poem uh, read to us. And as it's read, uh, you might like just to take this morning to have a little space and time to hear again God's invitation to you specially. It is you he's talking about when he says, you're welcome at my table and there's a place for you and I long to feed you and care for you and nourish you. The words will be on the screen in just a moment. Uh, if you'd rather read them, they are actually printed in the news sheets So if you'd rather follow the words uh, as they're read uh, in the news sheet, it's on the inside left-hand page of the news sheet uh, this morning. But here's just this video, Love, by George Um, Herbert.
2: Yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful. Ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat.
0: But nourishment and protection are not the only things we find at this remarkable table. Because my cup runs over. This is not grudging hospitality, but hospitality overflowing and overflowing and overwhelming with goodness. And David is, is amazed at God's generosity uh, to him. How many of you here in, in church this morning uh, can complete uh, this line? Don't say anything. Uh, just put your hand up if you know what comes next. Count your blessings, name them one by one, and... Do you know the answer? Yes. Together, it will surprise you what the Lord has done. You know, I'm just so uh, amazed how often uh, people latch on to some wonderful new uh, idea as though nobody has thought of it before, uh, when the church has known about it for, for years. And maybe it's our fault, actually, for taking our treasures for granted. So if you go on the web and search for gratefulness, you'll find that there's a whole new industry surrounding the word gratefulness. You could go on very expensive courses to be taught how to be grateful. You can buy grateful journals to fill in day by day. How grateful you really are and we've known it all along have we count your blessings name them one by one and it will surprise you what the Lord has done we don't need cycle babble to be told what we really know that if you write down and think about each day what how God has blessed you then the blessing will increase Here's what uh, one African uh, woman says about being thankful. Maybe this will put some things in our lives in perspective. <laughs>
3: vem being at the chef ten na a quando because of this a call, person up there. But let a back I and can
0: So having heard uh, Yolanda's uh, story, I wonder now if we can cope with just uh, one minute of uh, Oprah.
4: It was the single most important thing I believe I've ever done. So every day, for years now, I've written down five things to be grateful for. And you have to write them down. It's very different than just saying, oh, I'm grateful for today. You have to physically write them down because there's power in the words. Even simple things like fresh flowers or somebody holding the door open for me. So when you wake up in the morning and you consciously look for things to be thankful for, what happens is if you go through the day... Thinking about the five things that you're going to do in the evening, you are more alive and receptive to the goodness that comes in your life. Because sometimes it is as simple as somebody holding the door. One time it was just two squirrels eating. I said, I better write that down. <laughs> so when you allow yourself to feel gratitude, In the present moment, in the now, what I promise you is that the spiritual dimension of your life begins to change. It opens up, it expands, and you just grow with it. That is the truth. If I ever spoke, it was the single most important thing I believe I've ever done.
0: I guess uh, the contrast in lifestyle between uh, those two ladies couldn't be greater And that's why I played them. Uh, Because I I guess if I know you at all, we're somewhere in the middle. We don't know extreme poverty. And we're not as wealthy as she is, I guess. (laughs) But we live somewhere in the middle. But isn't that all the more reason to just check, am I really as grateful as I should be? for all that I I have uh, been given. I I, I confess I'm probably left to myself a a, a more of a glass half empty sort of person. Uh, I can see the problems quicker than I can see the blessings. That's why I love Jean so much, because she's a very much glass full uh, person, even glass completely full. When Debbie was talking the other week about the traumas of living like a hamster, on a wheel, do you remember it? Jean turned to me and said, well, at least the hamster was getting exercise. Wait, get up. I, know, I know lots of people will say that, that, that actually they're not, that, that they're not affected uh, by advertising. I freely put up my hands and say I'm a sucker for it. If people ask me what I enjoy reading, uh, the answer is catalogues. <laughs> and particularly catalogues about Gadgets and, and, and tools. I've only got to read about a gadget that embosses your name on a golf ball to think that's a good idea. And I don't play golf. <laughs> so I'm a sucker. Uh, absolutely for it. Nick bamber has got a new watch. And I said, really. But at my best, deep down, I know that I want to live gratefully. And I don't want to live grudgingly. I don't want to be focused on what I don't have. I want to be grateful for what I do have. And maybe it's just to find a little moment each day to say thank you. For, for years and years and years, Gene and I have uh, I've had the tradition of, of saying grace at our main wheel. We hold hands and we give thanks. Give thanks for the food in the hungry world. Give thanks because we live in the goodness of God to us. Give thanks because we want to live gratefully, not grudgingly. And that cup of blessing, that cup of blessing from God, is not just enough for me, it overflows. My cup overflows. All this talk of blessing could be very self-indulgent you know, look what I've got. Look what God has done for me. And it leaves the question, well, why has God blessed you and not them? Or why has God blessed us and not them? So what am I meant to do with all the different ways in which God's blessing has been poured into my life? Isn't it this, that simply the more blessed I am, the more I seek to be a blessing to others? so that my cup of blessing overflows to those who are around me. It was the same with Abraham right from the start. I call you Abraham and I'll bless you, but through you, through my blessing on you, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to people round about us. God's blessings are for sharing, not for hoarding. So how does that work? Isn't, isn't it the person who says thank you so much for being there when I needed you. Uh, you made such a difference when I was going through that time. I know some of you struggle with being the only Christian in your family and, and I remember a husband once saying to his wife, I don't share her faith but I'm so glad she has it because she's a better wife and mother because of her faith, and she blesses our family through her faith. God's blessing is for sharing, not hoarding. But there's a challenge there too, isn't there? If God's blessing overflows, how are we overflowing it? Even as a church, we're blessed with so much as a church. So how is that overflowing to the community around us? What does it mean for oneish community maybe to say well we don't go very often but actually our community is so much better because of the presence of the church at the heart of it I heard recently of a church that's changed its strap line its little mission statement simply to say this St John something or other blessing our community God's blessing is for us but it overflows. So just at the end, here's some more space and time. A song of blessing, but time simply to sit and think how God has blessed you and how maybe even in this moment you could pray a blessing on other people. Who would you like to pray a blessing on today as well as give thanks for the blessings that God has given you? Who would you like to pray a blessing as you hear these words. Just listen to this song for about two minutes and just reflect on the way you've been blessed and how you can pray a blessing on others around you.